Instamersion. Welcome everybody to I Am Talk. We have the one and only Corey Grinder. There's a reason why it's only one, because God sent one, two of them. So. You're uniquely yeah. one. You're the unique <laughs> design that God said. There can only be one All Corey right. Grinder. Um, Corey is the senior pastor. Of well, actually, I'm the lead pastor. Lead pastor. Senior pastor's job is to get old. My job okay. is to lead. Yeah, yeah. You're not. You're not quite Caputo status. No, I'm 62, uh, man. That's uh, old you're enough. Kind, yeah. You're kind of getting there. You're kind yeah, of getting definitely. there. Lead pastor yeah. of Hope Chapel Honolulu. Uh -huh. and Hope Chapel Honolulu. And I'm going to have all my words twisted up today. That's all good, man. But also the uh, founder of uh, the nonprofit. Yeah, I run a little nonprofit called Ho'onunui. There you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So excited to have you um, on the show today. And uh, yeah, just can't wait to uh, just share what God has <laughs> really put in your heart. And yeah, just what we can learn from you. Sure. Oh, what we can learn from each other, probably. Yes, yes. There's plenty. There's plenty. So yeah. I always like to start it um, in terms of where we first intersected. Yeah. Right? And so I had the... The, the um, train ride in Taipei. Is that where we're going? I think so. I think so. <laughs> yeah. So out of all the places in the world, we met all the way on the other side in Taipei. And what were you doing in Taipei at that time? I think I was looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> I must have been lost and then I was no, found. I don't think you were lost. I think I'd heard you were there and stuff. And... Thought we'd try and connect, and you're nice enough to let me connect with you. Ah. <laughs> but obviously, you had a mission, or there's something, some part of Asia that you were. Um, yeah, I mean, I can start there, I guess. I lived in Tokyo from 1990, 1992 to 2009. And from 2003 to 2017, I used to travel to a few nations in that Asia Pacific region in that way. And wow. Taiwan was one of the places I went to, yeah. probably because they have great dim sum. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that's Hong Kong. That's Hong Kong. No, no, Taiwan's got Taiwan had some too. Taiwan I guess. has its own stuff. It's unique. Uh, yeah, it's Taiwan good. street food, the street, street market food, food and except stinky tofu. I'm not sure I like that. Yeah, you gotta. It's it's an acquired thing, right? It's you gotta be able to handle. No, not a taste, man. But if you smell. can handle, right? It's like one of those things it's, where it's one it's, of things. It's a delicacy. There it's you amazing. go. Yeah. Well, delicacy. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so, looking at you, like again, I don't want to uh, assume that I'm judging you or whatnot, but I wouldn't assume. Um, any any relationships to Asia or even having the heart for Asia? Like, where did all well, that come so I'm, to I'm, be? I'm strange. I'm, I'm born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, my mother is is a descendant of Japanese immigrants to Hawaii. Um, the most interesting story is her father was a 13-year-old stowaway on a boat from Fukushima to Hawaii back when Hawaii was called Tengoku or heaven. Oh, wow. Although I'm told it was pretty hellish for people that immigrated to Hawaii in those days. Um, my dad was a, sold, a sailor who came back through the islands from the Korean War and my mom and he were pen pals and this is what showed <laughs> this is up. This what happened. You know, but I didn't know I was Japanese till I was 12. Wow. I grew up thinking I was Hawaiian because most of my friends, sure. you know, I'm, I'm Hapahale back in the day when it wasn't cool to be Hapahale and stuff. And, you know, going to kindergarten and Lincoln School where I went was they had kill Hale and kill Japanese day. Basically means your five-year-old kids are beating up people that are the wrong color. Strange thing, you mm -hmm. know, in a, the melting pot, the stew pot of Hawaii and stuff. But consequently, I was, I thought I was, identified with the Hawaiian people. Sure. Now, people that are Kanaka Maoli probably be upset with that because, you know, I'm, I'm Hapa Haole, Japanese Haole, I'm not Hawaiian. But, you know, the interesting thing is that exposure got me to take the Hawaiian language at University of, University of Manoa when they first started this Hawaiian studies right, program. Right. And because I, I, could, I, could, I could handle it in Hawaiian, I got saved in a Hawaiian language what? environment. 
I, I was basically came to faith going to a Hawaiian language church. I first preached in Hawaiian before wow. I preached in English. And you sound like Titus Cohen. But the, the, <laughs> no, not even no. close. But the, the, the culture of the Hawaiian people and the language gave me the tools to survive in Asia. Mm. You know, you know being, bringing a gift, taking off your shoes, you know, all that kind of stuff things really yeah. helped out. But even Makoto the Hawaii and stuff, the sound system, helping to hear Japanese. I learned Japanese as an adult when I was 31 years old. Wow. You know, I prayed for like tongues and, pro- tongues and interpretation. Give it to me, God. <laughs> well, I mean, because, you know, it's like, it's like tongues and interpretation because I knew dirty words and food words growing up in Hawaii. I couldn't speak a sentence of Japanese when I moved there in 1992. Wow. You know, and so by the grace of God, Today I can read, write, and speak. I read the Bible in Japanese every morning. Wow. But it's my entrance way into understanding the other cultures like China and Korea and Tibet and other places because you see sort of a gateway into it. Just like the Hawaiian language kind of takes you back to Tahiti through New Zealand. And the funny thing is those same kind of sailing voice ships with those sails that are on the Nile River today. There's, I really believe that we're all off the same boat at some point in time. Mm. You know, you Chinese guys and stuff, right? You know, <laughs> eight miles in a box is a boat, right? So, you know, it's stuff like that. It's pretty cool. So, yeah, I'm not sure. On that side, people think I'm white. On this side, people think I'm Asian. But most of the time, people don't know what I am. And if I land at LAX, people speak to me in Spanish or Persian <laughs> or something. So you can pretty know. much be anywhere in the world and probably pass for... Well, try to, yeah. Some ways. Um, I have to ask you, Corey. Um, mm-hmm. at, at what point did just the Japanese culture, the language, did just things start clicking for you in terms of like wanting to embrace the language? I never wanted to. I hated being Japanese growing up when I found out when I was twelve years old. When I found out, I mean, it's embarrassing, but I probably fought with every one of my boy cousins as a boy, as a young kid, because they thought I was an outsider, and I was my brother and I were the only two apahalas in the family. You know, um, I came to Christ when I was twenty-one. That means I did, had a lot of time to break all Ten Commandments before I got there. <laughs> um, and then as I came to Christ, I began to wonder about how I got there. And I began to think, I wonder if God was calling my grandfather to come and find him, but that Tengoku story, but never really knowing how to get there or, or whatever. So as I, I remember having a vision, this is kind of crazy that I'm going back here, but I remember having a vision. I was at Diamond Head by Triangle Park, and then I stopped to drink water, and I looked up, and instead of seeing the Ko'olaos, I saw Mount Fuji. Mm-hmm. And it's a really strange thing, because within a couple of years, I had moved to Japan at the invitation of a Japanese man to plant a church outside of Tokyo. The crazy thing is I saw that same vision three times in three different positions. Wow. The first time was from Triangle Park by Diamond Head. The second time was far away. The third time, out the back window of the church I passed it in Tokyo, I could see Mount Fuji with the snow on it and the valleys, and realizing... I had come where he wanted me to come. So it was kind of a weird story Very, thinking yeah. about it. But about the journey for Japanese, I struggled. Living in Japan the mm. first five or six years was hellish. My poor kids were born and raised there, and you know their parents were foreigners. They couldn't really read, write, or speak Japanese. My kids got thrown into it. It was really, really challenging. Japan is a tremendous, a marvelous culture for hospitality, but they don't do too well with strangers living amongst them Mm. because it's very inside-outside, the orientation. So it was probably about the fifth or sixth year there, reading the Bible in Japanese, trying to preach messages in Japanese, trying to make friends in Japanese, teaching school, writing textbooks, doing weddings, whatever it took to be able to afford to live in Japan as the economy went up and down. 
And then finally looking around and beginning to read all the headlines and newspapers and the trains that I'm going to work or reading signs and understanding stuff and then dreaming in Japanese and just the stuff that God does to help an adult learner of a language kind of get there, you know? Right. So it's so crazy that almost the side of you that you once rejected really became something that you dove into. That's and a just great keep. lesson though, Alex, because the truth of the matter is, you know, we're made in the image and likeness of a relationship. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are a relationship is one way to think about it. And what you discover is that otherness is necessary for togetherness. Mm. And togetherness is incredibly important for you to even have a, a true sense of self-identity. Yeah. Without it, you just don't know. No, I could totally relate on a personal level for myself being a missionary for three years and growing up not really having that understanding of even my own... Having a Chinese face being... Right, <laughs> but I'm this banana, right? Yellow right. on the outside, but white on the inside. Sure, right? sure. And to the point where, yeah, I had no idea of what my history was all about. Yeah, I grew up in the upbringing, but always having this tension between what does it mean to be a Western, trying to be American, but actually having these roots that were so deep, right, into, sure. into my... Chinese Taiwanese culture. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting too, because as we talk about the gospel, you know, it's funny, you know, we too often think that it's a Western construct, and it's not. I read this really, really cool book by a, a, a guy who was a Ghanaian prince named Lamin Sané, and he basically shows that the gospel never was a Western construct until sometime when the Eastern and the Western churches split in Asia, probably about, I don't know, maybe the 6th century, it began to get really ugly, you know, it kind of split up. And then, depending on what side you were in the conquest and the history books you had to read in school, you saw things a certain way, and then Jesus stopped being brown-skinned and brown-eyed and brown-haired and began being white-skinned and blue-eyed, right, you know, right. which is what I saw when I was 5 yeah. years old, being dragged to church for the first time. And, He's your friend. I'm like, I have no friends that look like that. How can that possibly be, you know, thinking about it? Yeah. <laughs> I love what you had shared with me um, earlier um, about just your heart regarding worship, discipleship, and also being a witness. Um, can you give me an explanation in terms of just the breakdown sure, and the sure. relationship between sure, all those sure, different sure. words? You know, um, it's, it's an interesting time in you know, the church coming out of this pandemic. And uh, it's exposed the church for what it's not. And, you know, when you think about it, God's vision for the church is a house of prayer for all nations. So you find several things that are really important out of Isaiah. One is that it's a house. It's a place where people are welcomed in for prayer. It's a place where you connect with God. And by connecting with God in prayer and through His Spirit, you connect not just with God's heart, but the hearts of your neighbors and the hearts of your enemies as well, because God's aware of all that's going on. For all nations now, it begins to change. You recognize that, you know, I did a doctoral degree in missiology, which is something called contextual theology. It basically simply means this. What did God say to them? That's the question you ask. Not what has God said to me. What has God said to them? If God has spoken to all the people, He's made everything, then He's shown and told His grace and truth to everybody. But we've sort of kind of figured it out and understood it and compartmentalized in different mm. ways because of our cultures. Back to that idea about otherness and togetherness and everything right, right, else, right. right? But worship, deception, and witness, I can do it in one hand. I've learned going to Mongolia, I remember the first time I went there and stuff, I literally had to draw pictures in the dirt with a stick because there weren't any PowerPoint. PowerPoint was this, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, an app or something you did and stuff. 
So we're talking, it's like, okay, so how do you, how do you be a disciple? How, how do you do this? Well, worship is kind of like, you know, I raise my hands to God and I recognize that where I come from and where I'll go to is not here. It's not here. It's somewhere else. And understand that worship really means like the, the greatest command. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And I do that out of Luke because I like that process. Heart, because there's something about connecting and loyalty. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the soul because it's not the emotions kick in and you begin to develop this feelings and go with it. And then it's not in your mind because you don't, and God's too big. None of us understand him. Systematic theology is helpful, but it's not everything because nobody knows everything about God. So it's your strength first. As you begin to try and love God with your resources, your gifts, your opportunities, your relationships, you know, that's your strength, what God's entrusted you with. And then your mind, because now you begin to understand in context who it is you're worshiping. So worship really isn't about singing songs or any of that kind of stuff. It really is about loyalty. Mm-hmm. It's about who's first. Where do I come from? Who do I belong to? Why am I even here? You know, why did I wake up this morning? You know, kind of a thing. Yeah, I had a, I had a good conversation with a friend actually just yesterday about what worship is. And she was sharing with me how she had had it wrong for so long because she always defined it as a lifestyle versus worship actually being life. Right. And I just love that distinction where it's like, yeah, lifestyle is something that we can kind of choose for a season or maybe it's a trend or whatnot. But no, it's like worship is so much more beyond that. Lifestyles are pretty self-centered. Worship has to be other centered, you know. So we talk about it in terms of this. If you want to think about it, it's like renewing your mind, praying, submitting to God's laws of love and limits, and then finding ways to work from your rest, not rest from your work. So you have renewal, prayer, submission, and Sabbath. Now, it doesn't work very well in American culture, but the reality is, without this renewal and prayer, which really is my discipleship, mm-hmm. without submission and Sabbath, which really is my worship, I have no witness. Wow. And so these four things, this spiritual discipline, if you want to call it, hold it up. If any one of them are missing, my witness is crooked and it's somehow missing. The truth of the matter is, whether or not I really grow in renewing my mind, in other words, thinking about God, myself, the world, others, as God does. Prayer, not just talking at God, but wondering what God thinks and feels about stuff, connecting with His heart, as I Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier. Submission, God has laws of love and limits. Why? Because without these, we dysfunction. If I don't love somebody like I love myself, my my soul is in a broken state. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, and in the Sabbath part, you know, we're human beings, not human doings. You know, we're running around crazy all the time and stuff. You know, and I'm guilty as anybody else. But if I can't stop and recognize that my, my heartbeat, my breath, my vision, the, the synapses firing in my brain are a gift of God, I'll never worship God. I'll worship something else. I'll have, as your friend says, a lifestyle, not a life. And lifestyle is self-centered. Yeah, very you know? self-centered. So, you know, when I think about worship, discipleship, witness, that's why I put it together. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. And so I love, I love what you shared, the, the aspect of if, if we're not loving people the way that God has intended for us to love, that actually says something about our soul or maybe how we're doing spiritually and where our heart stands. Well, and, and no offense meant, but not just spiritually. We're not, we are embodied spirits. And the place where our spirit is, comes into junction, conjunction, the juncture of our spirit and our body is our soul. 
that's the part of us where we feel pains, whether they're physical pains or emotional pains, or you get hungry, or you get thirsty, you have other kind of desires, and it's, so there's this, there's this place with a, this junction, it's our soul. And so when you're not able to love someone like you love yourself or share what you have with somebody mm -hmm. else, you know, there's something in you that you're not trusting. You're like, wow, if I give, I'm not going to have enough for myself, so yeah. I'm not going to give because, you know, what about me? And, you know, look out for number one. Maybe you heard growing up from somebody, you know, growing up in America, it happens to you, right? But there's something in here where those commands to love God and then love your neighbor as you love yourself are really directions for how we best function. That if we keep looking up at God, then we better understand people. Right. Because we discover that they're just as important to God as Absolutely. I am. Yeah. I'm not special. I'm not any more special than they are. Special, mm. or if that's a real word or not, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, God has you now back as the lead pastor at Hope Chapel Honolulu. And um, just given your, your heart for Asia and just your uh, responsibility leading this local church, um, how do you see, uh, yeah, just what God is doing through that space in terms of um, you shepherding, Right, his ohana over here, but then also your heart for Asia. Is there a blend between the two, or are they compartmentalized? It, it's a crazy thing to be really, really honest, because um, until 2017, I was involved in a lot of places and with a lot of other people in different languages and different kind of things. Coming back and passing in America has been a challenge because mm. in many ways, like you said, you're a banana in Taiwan. <laughs> well, I don't know what you'd say I am here, but. People might think I'm from here, or they're not sure where I'm yeah, from. There's I get, probably a little confusion, I get asked all right? the time, yeah. bro, where are you from? You know, I get it all the time. Right, right. You know, but the, so how do you answer that question? Yeah, right? it's really, really hard. You do answer in Hawaiian, or you know, right. what do I do? You know, kind of thing. But choosing to be a local pastor was a strange thing for me. But I came back and did it for three reasons. The first one was I believe God said that the person I was working with in Japan needed to, be, needed to lead our national churches. So I needed to get out of the way because culturally I'm in the way. I'm older and I'm an outsider, so it was mm. kind of an obstacle. Secondly, he said if I came back, I should come back and do church simply. And for 10 years, we did simple church. We met once a month to worship and eat dim sum and talk stories and pray for each other. And everything else was small groups. And then he said also that this is unfulfilled missionary call on the people of Hawaii that was blocked by, for various reasons that we can get into if we want to, that God wants me to raise up people, laborers, the harvest of Asia. Mm. And so that was kind of how I said yes to it. Has it been easy? Probably hard for the people mm. because I'm not a, no a typical normal pastor. You know, I can speak brook pigeon, I can speak some Hawaii and stuff, but I don't think that way anymore. Yeah. And so it's challenging. And the biggest challenge is probably that I think church really is about prayer and meaningful relationships. Mm -hmm. It's not projects, it's not programs, it's not agenda, it's not promoting stuff, it's not branding. No offense, but those are helpful tools. But ultimately, if I'm not praying for people and relating to them in a meaningful manner, yeah. then I'm not being a disciple of Christ and we're not a church, no matter what we put on the sign outside oh. of our building. Yeah. So the pandemic was good for us. Mm. It forced us to rethink and it forced everybody to accept that we can't do things how we used to. Yep. So we ended up coming back and we put out round tables, five to a table, because of cleaning, we're supposed to clean for COVID stuff every Oops. hour. Right. So we 15 minutes worship, 15 minutes sermon, wow. 25 minutes discussion and prayer at tables without me coming into it because it was social distancing. 
you know. Let me kind of pray and we kind of let people go. But it's been intriguing for us because God gave me a vision before we started into the church. Mm. And it was a vision. It's almost a happy accident, I guess. In sense, well, sorry. I think what it was was God saying, don't forget what I told you. Don't forget why I brought you mm. here. Because we tend to forget sometimes. You know? All the time. When I read the Bible, Moses forgot. When I read the Bible, David forgot. When I read the Bible, Solomon forgot. Sure. You know, and so I'm no better than those three guys. And so I forgot. I think in some ways, just get caught up mm-hmm. in the everyday thing of trying to pay the bills, keep the lights on, keep the people happy, which really aren't the three most important tasks of a church. Mm-hmm. Straight up. Yeah. You know? So God gave me a vision. He said, I want you to think about 100,000 tables. I was like, what? Mm. And he told me about it. Well, your job is to try and develop 1,000 tables. The tables are five people, maybe five or minutes, eight people. Every single person is a worshiper of God, a disciple of Christ, and a witness for Christ. But they're at that table because each of them has a disciple who has a disciple who has a disciple. Mm. So it's multiplying. This creates community so that we have health that we can share with others. Because again, unless we're praying for and meaningfully relating with other people, we're not being disciples of Christ. It's the love we have for each other that shows we're disciples, right? So here's how you keep it connected. And if we can do this and model that to our disciples, then we can find maybe a thousand tables like this mm. but God said if you'll do a thousand I'll add 99,000 wow. to it yeah so when we think about the people of Honolulu the Pacific Asia and beyond through our relational uh, circles of relationship and whatever influence we have it's not so much about branding as or, or promoting as as much as as being yeah. and doing yeah I mean, that's where I really see the community thriving, right? Like you can brand as much as you want and say that we're doing all these things, but unless we're actually in the in the um, living out what it means to make disciples and having your disciples make disciples, then that's where uh, where that that space is where God just really starts to thrive and in ways that are beyond us, where He starts adding those tables where we're like, wait, we just planned for X amount, but He's going to add. Sure. 20,000 more. Right? Well, he shows our responsibility. If you do this and I'll do this. God's mm. often done that with me. There was a comment um, from a guy named Mike Green. And he basically says, you know, you can start a church, but you might not have disciples. But if you make disciples, you'll always have a church. Wow. Which is a really interesting thing. Another thing I recently heard that really, really rocked my world. The gospel you proclaim determines the disciples you make. Or you can make it simpler because we're Americans, right? What about me? Right. That gospel I believe determines the disciple I become. Mm. And if you think about it, um, you know, I just pray a prayer. I'm a Christian now. I get baptized. I'm a Christian now. Um, I go to church. I, I, I give some of my money or whatever. Mm. Or, you know, I vote a certain way or mm. do certain things. There's something missing, something wrong with that picture. Mm. You know, and so I find myself thinking more and more about, okay, so... Jesus Christ pre-existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And according to promises, the Holy Spirit comes and overshadows Mary. Mm. And somehow, the Son of God is conceived through a virgin birth. That kind of rocks your world. But unless you believe those two things, Jesus is just a good teacher or a miracle worker. And then this notion of He lives a life that's largely mysterious. The first 30 years, except for a couple of incidents when he's 12 years old and stuff, you just don't know anything about. Right. It's just all this unknown, right? Yeah. Then you show up with his cousin John, crazy guy, wearing that animal skin and probably <laughs> has locusts like... And... Well, he yeah, probably has locust legs in his beard. And, Honey you know, drilling yeah, down Yeah, probably. You know, he's got this kind of freaky looking dude, right? But then, you know, he dunks his cousin in the water and this voice comes out of the sky. This is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. Listen to him. 
Then there's this three and, three and a half years of life that no one's ever experienced before that rocks the world of at least 12 mm. people and probably close to 500 who witnesses him, you know, resurrected on the third day after he dies. Sure. You know, which I think is actually more significant than we think because what we think about resurrection and eternal judgment probably determines how we're going to live today. Mm. If I believe that, that everyone's going to be resurrected someday and judged upon what we say and do, then it makes a difference. It makes a difference, not what I think or feel. It makes a difference how I speak and act and relate to people, doesn't mm, it? Absolutely. It's huge. Yeah. You know? if, if there's a scripture that's resounding in me as you've just been sharing for the last um, half an hour or so, or 25 <laughs> minutes, sure. um, it's, it's just where Paul talks about being all things to all people, to the Gentiles to be the Gentiles, to the Jews to be the Jews, etc. Um, just really being able to see you model that and how God has crafted you in a way where you're just so... Like, where are you from? It's like, well, I'm from all sorts of different places. But at the same time, God has given you that ability to relate to so well, many well, different types. I think types. it's giving out. You're being very, very kind. I'm a work in progress, or I'm just a piece of work, depending on who you talk to. The, you know, we can <laughs> that way. What's an encouragement you can leave people that do have that heart to disciple, but maybe at the same time they're being challenged in terms of how to be relatable? How are they able to... Another thing Paul says that I think is really, really important is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, you know, I remember my kids telling me and stuff when they're little kids getting baptized, Dad, how does Jesus fit in my heart? He's too big to fit in there. <laughs> I love that. But the Spirit of Christ comes and fills us and permeates mm. us. And the more we open our hearts and minds to His Word and His Spirit and His people, you need mm -hmm. all three, Word, Spirit, and people of God, for that process of transformation to take place. The more you do that, you'll show and tell, you'll show and tell Jesus, and you can't help it, poorly or well. <laughs> That's the only problem here. You know, but, but His grace is sufficient. I wasn't saved till I was 21. Mm. I've, I've broken so many of those laws of love and limits since I've known Christ in 1981. Yeah. You know, but He hasn't given up. He's faithful mm. and able to complete what He begins in us, Alex. Yeah, That's I love, true of all of us. I love how you share that we're all just still a work in progress, no matter, yeah, if we've just... We are His masterpiece, we but are, we're also we pieces of work. So yeah. yeah, it's kind of a... And, and I know I have a long ways to go to even being in the game for X amount of years. It's sure. like, no, there's still so much yeah. uh, growth and there's still so much uh, transformation that sure. He's still doing yeah. within our hearts. Um, Corey, we're down to our last few minutes and I just want to give you the floor. Um, um, to this camera in front if there's mm. anything um, either going on in your church or uh, just maybe there's an encouragement from God that you want to leave us with um, just yeah what's something that um, we can get inspired from you mm. you know it's not so much about the church I pastor Alex it, it really is about you every person who's listening and watching you know ask yourself am I a follower of Christ in these last days because the day the Holy Spirit was poured out was the beginning of the last days. At Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, it was the beginning of the last days. And these last days, how are you doing as growing as a worshiper? Jesus said, my Father seeks those who worship in spirit and truth. Mm. How are you doing? How are you doing as a disciple? You know, we're all not suggested. Discipleship is not an option. We're mm. commanded to go baptize and teach. You may not know very much. Teach what you know. You may not know enough. Learn some more. But this thing about being a witness, you know, we're speaking in English. So people who listen is probably English speakers. And whether they live in India or, or UK or America or Canada or someplace where they speak English. But here in America, 
we have all these freedoms and opportunities. You know, we cannot afford to squander them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to be discussed in public. Absolutely. It is meant to be discussed in the public square. Mm -hmm. It is not something for private consumption yeah. or personal profit, pleasure, possession, or position. It's meant to be shared because, you know, we're in a world of 7.8 billion people. And maybe 2.3 or 4 supposedly are Christians today. But first commandment, love God all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Second commandment, love your neighbors, you love yourself. Here in Hawaii, we're neighbors to a lot of people. And all of us living here, we have family and friends all around the world. I recently did this DNA testing that said that I had Tibetan blood. <laughs> which is crazy when you think about it. But if you think about the fact that Noah's Ark landed somewhere up in those mountains, it's not surprising at all. Mm. So if we're all off the same boat, and we're all in the same boat, and there really is a resurrection and a return of Christ, then I think how you and I live today yeah. is really important. So awesome, Corey. We're down to our last 30 seconds, but I just want to thank you for just your time, just sharing your heart. Alex, um, thank you for having me. I hope you can find better guests. And after you erase <laughs> this thing, I totally understand why. It's all good. Such a pleasure. And yeah, again, just thankful that God, yeah, continues to divinely intersect us to the point where we could, yeah, continue just being an inspiration Amen. to one another. Thank so you thank very you. much, Alex. All right, thank guys. You. God bless. Instant Vision. I would love to thank you for hanging out with us here on I Am Talk. Hit the subscribe button to stay in tune with our channel. Oh, and don't forget to tap that bell icon to get notifications on the latest episodes coming your way. We're always looking for the next guests to talk story with here on I Am Talk. So if you just shoot me an email at alex at I'll be sure to shoot a guest application your way. Well guys, it's all for now. Until our next episode of I Am Talk, this is Alex and I'm out. Peace.